The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joni. Here we are, another week down. We are. This is episode number 29. Awesome. And this is the Addiction Podcast, as the lady said at the beginning. How has your week been? It was good. I, I, I was going to ask you, did you see the uh, CNN broadcast about Kratom? No. Uh, yes. So there was a huge broadcast, uh, CNN did, yes. about Kratom, how it's, I'm calling it 2017's newest miracle cure for opiate addiction. And yeah. I put miracle cure in, in uh, quotations. Quotation marks, exactly. Because, you know, it's another one of those silver bullet magic pills, blah, 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 that people are going to gravitate towards in order to get off of drugs. And on the CNN broadcast, they talked, they, they featured these two, I think they were sisters, and they were both on long-term pain medication, and that they were kind of excited about the possibility of Kratom being a, a natural alter, a, alternative, I can't even talk, to the drugs that they were taking. It's natural? Kratom well, is natural? Well, Kratom is a plant that grows oh, okay. in Malaysia. Okay. Strangely enough, it's banned where it grows because of the problems that it caused their society there. And now our society is like, wow, this stuff is fantastic. Forget the problems it caused there. Right. And <laughs> it's it's going to be different here. And it's funny because we got more informational requests on our website for Kratom and mm-hmm. understanding more data about Kratom and what people are kind of getting themselves into if they were to take it. Now, I always ward people away from, you know, quote unquote, magic cures, right. because there's no such thing as a magic cure for addiction. You can't, if, you can't just take a pill and everything's going to be fine. I don't care if it's synthetic or if it's natural. It doesn't take the place of drug rehabilitation. It doesn't take the place of getting to the core root of an issue. And with Kratom, it's largely not studied. It's not evaluated. And the other thing is it's not FDA regulated. So you don't know what you're getting and you have to be really careful of what you're buying and who you're buying it from. So you never know what you're going to get. There's been lots of people that have been hospitalized from using Kratom and they actually had the Kratom they were using on them. And some of them tested positive for morphine. Some of them tested positive for oxycodone mixed in with it. Um, and I'm sure people think it's wonderful. <laughs> it's yeah. got that mixed in it. And then it's also got a concentrated dose of the active ingredient in Kratom that binds to your opiate receptors added in on top of the plant material that they're getting. And so you never know what you're going to get. And so for people to be proclaiming that this is like the newest, greatest thing is scary to me because people did that with Suboxone. People did that with Methadone. You know, people did that with Ibogaine, which is a hallucinogenic drug. I mean, it's like insanity. But my thing is this. If you're going to use opiates, eventually you're going to detox. You're going to go through withdrawal. And that's the scariest thing for an opiate addict is going through withdrawal. And so if it doesn't matter if you take methadone, you take Suboxone, or you take Kratom, eventually you can't take it forever. Right. You can't take it for the rest of your life. And eventually you're going to have to come off it and you're going to withdraw. You're going to kick. You're going to be sick. So none of this stuff takes the place of, um, of rehab. Exactly. Of actually getting to the root cause of your issues. Exactly. And I wish more people, I wish more people had access to the type of prevention from my generation that's available today. Because right. in my day, the prevention mechanisms and measures that were out were dare. And I know I've talked a little bit of smack about dare in the past, but it was almost a joke to most of me and my schoolmates. And we actually wanted to try drugs after some of these lectures because you didn't get this real raw information about drugs you didn't right. understand what you're getting yourself into all you heard is well, well it'll make you feel spacey and you'll be sleepy and all this stuff and we're like that sounds fantastic because <laughs> you know so i i'm really 
pro better prevention measures. And I yeah. think better stuff is coming out now. Exactly. I think better things are happening now in order to prevent people from trying drugs in the first place and at least give them the knowledge that they need to make a good decision for themselves when they're faced with that choice. Right. And right. so that's what I'm excited about today versus what I'm not excited about today. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, we have a guest today. And our guest today is Amy Ronshausen, and she's the deputy director of both Drug Free America Foundation and Save Our Society from Drugs. Both of them are national nonprofit organizations that work to defeat drug legalization attempts, yay, promote sound drug policies, again, yay, yay. and prevent drug use, abuse, and addiction. And she also serves as the executive director for the Florida Coalition Alliance, representing over 30 community anti-drug coalitions. So let's talk to Amy. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm just, I'm just excited, and I'm excited for the work that you do. How lo- I was looking at your bio, and one of the things I couldn't tell is how long have you been involved in this area? Um, I've been in the drug world for about... 15, 17 years. I I started off as a call specialist at a local treatment organization, just kind of helping get people their first appointments and initial evaluations. And from there, I moved to adult drug court in Pinellas County and worked under four different judges. And then- Were you an attorney or- No, a case manager for adult drug court. So we made sure that the patients or the- defendants in that case, were linked to whatever um, care that the judge, you know, asked them to do. So getting their evaluations, doing their outpatient care, doing their residential care, but then also talking with their probation officer to see how they were doing in that area as well. And then they report to the judge every six weeks on their progress. So just getting all that information for the judge so she can say, see you in another six weeks or walk through the door to your right that leads to the Pinellas County Jail. Right. And then from there, I moved to uh, Drug Free America Foundation. So I've been there in February will be 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, well done on the work that you guys do. I know, I know you guys were very and are still very active in terms of preventing the legalization of marijuana is your but your organization is all over the country. Correct. Okay. You're more involved here in Florida. Yeah, we're a national organization that's headquartered in St. Petersburg. Oh, okay, cool. So what are Tell me, what is the main barrier you run up against when you talk to people about marijuana and why it should not be legalized? What's the main thing that people say to you who are for legalization? Oh, wow. There's there's a couple of them. And it's um, all put out by the lobby who's trying to legalize. And when they say things, they don't have to have science to back them up. They don't have to have any proof in what they say. So we hear a lot that marijuana is safer than alcohol. We hear that everybody's in jail because they have uh, one joint on them so that we're locking up a whole bunch of nonviolent first-time marijuana users, Um, that it's not addictive, Um, and that, of course, it's a medicine. So these are all really hard things to combat, especially with our youth. Um, so these are things that I hear not only from parents, um, but last week was Red Ribbon Week, and we were in the schools, and I had a third graders telling me that marijuana was a medicine. Wow. And safer than alcohol. Wow. Third graders. And where do they get that? Do they get that from their parents? Or? Uh, I think they just hear it. I mean, you, our kids are inundated through social media with pro-drug messages. There was a study done a couple years ago, um, and it was looking at just 
pro pot tweets. And for I think for for every anti drug tweet there was there was 75 pro pot tweets. Oh my gosh. Um, And that's just on Twitter. And how many of our youth are on Twitter? Think about what they see on Snapchat on Facebook on all the things that I don't even know about because I'm in my 40s and they're in their teens. (laughs) Right. Right. Wow. Third graders. Yep. It's medicine. Yeah. That's I, that's unreal to me. I mean, that just, that that blows my mind. Because how old is a third grader? What is that like? Nine, eight, eight? Because you start school at six, right? That's, yeah, I think they were seven and eight. Wow, that's that's amazing. And to they me. see all the signs. So right. I mean, just here in our area, where we recently passed our medical marijuana legislation, we uh, there's already billboards up that say you know marijuana is legal now in Florida, and you have the green cross or the pot leaf, um, and kids see everything. So you know it might have taken you a while to see that sign, but you better believe they probably saw it the first time it, they drove by it, exactly. and then their mind starts thinking and they think about that later and um, I think that we're really going to see what we saw with the prescription drugs where they assume that because a doctor prescribed it it was safe so if they see this marijuana at home and they hear that a doctor recommended it they're going to assume that it must be something that's safe and we're I think we're going to run into some more problems with that. I think that's a very good point Jason and I have talked many many times about how the assumption is because my doctor prescribed it for me, it's safe for me to take 60 milligrams of Oxycontin, you know, and not worry about it, you know, and that it, it, it comes back to, you know, really getting all of the facts and making sure that you're fully educated before you put anything in your body. Do you know, I mean, I read the labels of food, I'm not going to put a bunch of chemicals in my body that I don't understand. Yeah, you You have to be your own health advocate. Yes, you have to if you get a prescription and you know, say you went, you broke your arm, and they're giving you a 30 day supply of a painkiller, you need to ask them, do I really need this for 30 days? And is it addictive? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of our doctors aren't trained on signs of addiction or on addiction at all. So that's another one of the things that we're pushing for at the federal level and at the local level here in Florida is to require that doctors who are allowed the DEA prescribers that are allowed to uh, prescribe these powerful narcotics, that they also are trained in addiction. So they do recognize those signs and they know when you know, to say, okay, well, you know, maybe this isn't the best choice for you. Maybe this is what we put you on instead. What are the alternatives? Right, right. You know, it's interesting. I have a friend who's a doctor. And she, every time I see her, she reminds me that her, her viewpoint is uh, doctors have to do continuing education. And she said, the continuing education for the last 2530 years has always been what is it? It's um, uh, it's domestic violence and AIDS. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two. And she says, I don't understand why the regulations just can't be changed so that the continuing education is more what doctors need today, like, you know, opioids and what's addictive and what's not addictive. And anyway, and even about marijuana and the new marijuana, you know, I think, and Jason and I have talked about this many times. The issue with the new marijuana is it's it's not that it, not that any marijuana is okay, but the marijuana of today is not the marijuana of the seventies. Absolutely not. In fact, I wish that we could call it a different name. Um, the Good potency point. level of what we had in the seventies and even early eighties was one point five to three percent. What we see now, on average, is 
16 to 30%. And then the edibles could be up to 90% THC. So when you think about all the research we have on marijuana and how it impacts the developing brain specifically, all that was, every research takes a long time, Mm -hmm. 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. So all that was done on low potency pot. I dread to find out 20 years from now, what is the impact of these high potency products? Um, so I, like I said, I wish we could call it something else. It's, and that is a really hard one for people to understand because you have this generation of people who may or may not have used in college and now their kids are out of the house and they're grown and they didn't use that whole time because they were in the workforce and they were raising their kids and now they're retired, their kids are gone and they say, Hey, it's legal in some States now, or it's a medicine. I want to try it again, thinking that it's that ditch weed that they use used in the 70s. Right. And it's not. And it's sending a lot of people to the hospital because they're just not used to how potent it is now. Right. And the interesting thing is, and I I think I mentioned this one time earlier on the podcast, is even the low, uh, what do you call it, even the low, low amount of THC that was in the marijuana when in the 70s, I could spot a pothead a mile away. I mean, there were it, there were long term effects of people who smoked marijuana even in those days Absolutely. on a continuing basis. So now, anybody listening, if you're in your fifties or sixties, we've said it before: it's not the marijuana of your youth. It just isn't. And so, if you think it's okay for your kids because it was okay for you, it's not the same. Yeah. You know, you are introducing them to a whole new level of drug. And maybe we should just come up with a new name. I mean, it really, it's all about branding and we should just brand it as something else. I don't care. We'll come up with a brand new name and we'll call it that. Yeah. What are, have you looked at some of the like statistics in the states that have legalized it, like Colorado? Have you looked at any of those statistics? Are there any that off the top of your head, you could tell us that you, you know, for a fact that well, it's not working. This experiment has definitely failed. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of players to blame in it. Um, the federal government for not stepping up and enforcing our federal drug laws. Um, but what's really unfortunate is the people that pay the price are just the normal citizens like us. Right. So we have a significant increase in uh, drug driving fatalities, um, while all other driving fatalities are decreasing because of different uh, preventative methods and things like that. The... Um, Traffic fatalities where the at-fault driver was high on marijuana, significantly rising. We have an increase in our ER rates for youth who think that the cookie is just a cookie, but really it's a 16 servings of a high THC edible, um, and they're going to the hospital, or even the adults who, like I said, you know, they're coming into Colorado or one of these other states. And since it's legal, they're going to use and they think it's the marijuana of the 70s. Yeah. And they're just not used to what happens. Um, We see in schools in the Denver area, they did a survey of from student resource officers. And they see more marijuana in the schools because this is a big business. And what do you do for your business? You advertise, you market, you don't go into business not to make money. So in order to make money, you have to have more users. So there's more marijuana available, which means there's more kids bringing it to school who got it either from the two biggest categories we saw were from their parents 
or which was the, the smaller of the two, or from somebody else who got it legally. So either a legal medical marijuana patient or somebody who was 21 years or older and bought it recreationally. Um, and then so since it's in the school, we're seeing a rise in the number of school expulsions, school suspensions. Um, so it's having a lot of different impacts. I mean, even environmentally, we see environmental impacts. So things you don't think of when you're at the ballot box thinking, should I allow this to be legal for recreational purposes or medical purposes? Because even if you're not going to use, sometimes you think, well, maybe it's the compassionate thing to do, or I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm not going to do it. You just don't realize how many areas of our life it really does impact. Right. I think, you know, so much we've got to, you know, come back to educating people on the marijuana of today and why we don't want that legalized. Yeah, I think one of the big things is, you know, for us, for Drug Free America Foundation, and and just for me personally, it really comes back to our youth. Um, Because, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, they, they are our future. Yes. And when we look at, you know, the impacts that this has, and you look at just academic success, you know, if you could keep kids to not use marijuana, before the age of 18, you'll have fewer high school dropouts, fewer college non-attendees. You know, looking at that kind of stuff, I think really is where the rubber meets the road. You know, you really have to talk to parents that they might not think it's a big deal, but do they know that there was a study that showed that people who use marijuana before their brains fully developed were scoring eight points less on their IQ scores than right. their non-using peers? Right. Eight points is a big deal. That could be the difference from being able to to finish college or not, because yep. most of us are of average IQ. Yep. Um, so if you don't care about anything else, you should care about your kid being able to be successful later in life. And then I saw something the other day that showed it was showing a graph on the social outcomes of marijuana use. And what really got me was it didn't matter if you used once a month daily, you know, once a month to daily, they had it in five different categories the column for depression was the same for all of those. And it was pretty high. So you hear a lot of people say that I'm using to self-medicate because I'm I'm depressed or I am, I'm anxious, but here the drug is causing those right. same symptoms. Right. And, you know, we're, we're talking a lot today about the mental health of our children. And here we're promoting a substance that is, is not good for their mental health. It makes no sense. I mean, it really... It just makes no sense whatsoever. And I think that, you know, the this is why we do this podcast is to educate and educate and educate and educate because people don't know. Like I say, they're out there thinking, hey, marijuana, you know, it's it's a it's a plant. It's natural. Therefore, we should just go ahead and do that. Anyway, tell me a little bit about Save Our Society. From It's Save Our Society from Drugs, right? Yep. So Save Our Society from Drugs is, I guess I would call it the sister organization to Drug Free America Foundation. So Drug Free was formed about 21, 22 years ago. And at that time, we were formed by um, some people who wanted to stop the legalization of marijuana in California. Okay. But we started a 501c3. Um So we really had to do more prevention work. Right. So once we kind of realized, you know... We have to be able to lobby in order to be able to stop those. Then kind you have of to have a different organization. Yeah, we okay. started a five hundred one c four, which is SOS. Yeah. So um, SOS does all of our. We track all drug policy legislation. So in two thousand seventeen, we tracked almost uh, uh, twelve hundred 
drug policy bills in the United States and, wow. at, the, and at the federal level. And of those, I think around six or 700 were what I would deem pro-drug bills. Right. So pro-drug bills would be your marijuana legalization. Um, every state that has these laws, it, it doesn't just end. So for example, in Florida, well, now we have medical marijuana in Florida. Right. Uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that next session we're going to see legislation to legalize for recreational purposes, to expand what we already have on the books for medical. It just doesn't stop. Right. They'll want to add conditions. They'll want to add more amount that you can use. They'll want to add more dispensaries than what the law has now. So it's it's a never-ending process to expand and you know make this a bigger industry than it already is. Because they get a foot in the door. And they figure, okay, we've got this now. Well, that didn't hurt anything. So now we can do, yeah. 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 So SOS tracks all that legislation. And we we also track anti-drug legislation. So supporting the the treatment courts and the drug courts. And um, you mentioned Kratom earlier in the podcast. And we've had legislation in Florida for two years in a row to add Kratom as a controlled substance. And two years in a row, it has gone nowhere, but it will be reintroduced this session again. Um, So so things like that are what we would call, you know, anti-drug bills, things that we can support because we don't always want to just be opposing things if we want to get out there and support things to promote sound drug policy as well. Right. Do you have on staff um, uh, people who are like experts in drugs and what they do and... So we have um, we have a very small staff actually, um, but we have you know since we've been around for twenty two years, um, we have an extensive I guess we would call it a speakers bureau. Okay. Um, so on that we have um, you know different. Some of them are uh, current members of the White House Commission on on Opioids right now. They serve okay. on that task force. Um, different people who are experts on the brain, who are experts on, you know, the way that drugs work in our body, um, all, all kinds of people. So it, I'm glad that everybody doesn't have to just rely on on us. So if, if people ask a question or they need information on something specific, if we don't know that, we usually can in 48 hours find somebody who can give us the resources that we need. Right. And over the years, we've... Um, compiled an extensive electronic library and we actually have an in-house library as well like a real dewey decimal system library um of all drug stuff related so like if somebody emails me and says can you send me information on marijuana and the teenage brain i can go into our electronic library i can look to see what i have and you know sift through the old stuff the new stuff and probably give them way more information than they've ever wanted to know that's awesome well if someone wanted to get have access to this library can they get access through your website yeah they can just go to our website is uh, dfaf.org and there's probably like a contact us on there or something. Okay. Um, you can just kind of look around on the website. It might be under resources, might be under press. Um, and then that goes to our our admin email and then it gets shuffled to whichever one of us can best answer the question. Good. And that's D like David, F like Frank, A like Apple, F like Frank.org. Yep. DFAF.org. And, um, and so when they go through the contact that can get to you if yep. someone has Absolutely. a question about something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. I'm hoping that people will listen to this podcast and wake up to the whole marijuana issue and other issues. So how does how does mar- marijuana impact like the opioid crisis? 
So that's a great question. So one of the things we hear all the time now is that states that have medical marijuana programs have lower overdose death rates. So I took a look at the research that was out there on this, and you have to be really careful when you look at research. I mean, some of it is just not real science. Um, So this particular research that everybody is talking about now, it didn't take into account a lot of different things. It didn't take into account that it was done in Colorado, so it didn't talk about the Colorado Prescription Drug Monitoring Program that really cut down on doctor shopping and the amount of prescriptions. It didn't talk about the physician training that's happened in Colorado that significantly reduced the amount of scripts out there for those powerful opioids. And one of the big things that it didn't talk about was the increase in naloxone and first responders having that. So the first year that looked at the study, that year I think that they only had a little over 300 doses of naloxone used by uh, first responders to revive people from an overdose. And then the last year they had almost a thousand. So that's a huge amount of lives right there just from naloxone. And then it doesn't take into account any of the prevention method methods through the take your meds back program, all the different things that we've done to educate people that prescription drugs are harmful if they're not prescribed to you. And even if they are prescribed to you that you have to take them as you know, under medical supervision. So it didn't account for any of those things. And then what it also didn't talk about was we have research now that shows that marijuana actually primes the brain for opioid addiction. So there was a study done on twins, and twin A started using, which the twin studies are the best kind of studies out right, there. Right, right, yeah. Um, so twin A started using marijuana before the age of 17, and twin B started using after the age of 17. And we know that your brain's fully developed somewhere around 23, 24, 25. So 17 is closer to that fully developed brain. Twin A was four times more likely to abuse opioids later in life. And then there was rodent studies done that showed that when the rodents um, were exposed to marijuana while there was a baby rodent in the belly, that baby rodent sought heroin more avidly and also had more um, behavioral issues and um, worse withdrawal symptoms. But it wasn't just for the rodents that were exposed to THC while they were pregnant, it was also the rodents that were exposed to THC before they ever, the mom rodent and the dad rodent, before they ever conceived, got together to conceive this baby rodent. That baby rodent sought heroin more avidly. So we know there's a huge connection between marijuana use and the potential for opioid abuse later in life. So if we're only looking at the opioid issue, which is one of the things that we're kind of doing right now, we're looking at the drug du jour, we're not right. talking about all of them, right. we're going to be stuck in this big cycle. So it's a it's really important that we send the message to our youth that we want no alcohol use, no tobacco use, no marijuana use, no other drug use, so that we are setting them up for success later in life. Right. And you bring up a you bring up an interesting point. Is marijuana, even medical marijuana, is it typically prescribed for pregnant women? Um, well, it's never prescribed because it's not FDA approved. Oh, okay. Um, and it is recommended for, for pregnant women in some states. So in the state of Florida, what we did is we really pushed for it not to be recommended at all 
to pregnant women because not just because we were standing on some moral high ground, but because we have mountains of research that show the damage to that unborn child and the damage cognitively later in life. Wow. Um, But what our Florida legislators decided to do, which I guess was better than nothing, was to say that only our low THC products could be recommended to women who were pregnant. And low THC, as defined by Florida law, is less than 0.08% THC. Okay, but I would say in the same way that they tell pregnant women not to drink alcohol and not to smoke, don't take marijuana. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you know, again, I think if we can educate young people and we can, you know, tell them what the actual true data is about the marijuana of today and, you know, the true data about drugs going forward, I, I'm hoping that they'll make the right decision. And if I remember, you know, as a young person, you know, hearing about LSD and how it might affect my unborn child, and I wasn't even ready to have children yet. But just that thought and the fact that it can, it's not just if I smoke while I'm pregnant, but it could also be if I've used marijuana for many, many years, and then I decide to get pregnant, how does that affect my unborn child? And maybe we don't have the research on that, but do you want to risk it? Do you want to risk what could possibly happen with your unborn child? And I hope the answer out there to most of the people is no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you're definitely right. It's getting that message out there. And I know that sometimes it's not a popular message, um, but it's it's the right message, not just morally, but scientifically. So it's getting out that science-based information so that, like you said, people can make an informed choice. And hopefully that choice will be that they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they're harming themselves and harming, harming others. Exactly. Exactly. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, once again, for everybody listening, we have been talking to Amy Ronshausen, and she is the deputy director of both Drug Free America Foundation, which is a charitable organization, 501c3, and Save Our Society from Drugs, which is a 501c4, because they can lobby against legalizing marijuana and a lot of other things that we don't like about drug abuse. So thank you for taking your time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to Amy through the Drug Free America website, which is dfaf.org, and they have a contact us link, and you can reach her from there. Thank you again. That was awesome, wasn't it, Jason? Great interview. Uh, Yes. I couldn't help but get some mental imagery during that. Oh, yeah? And when she said, when you asked if it, if marijuana was recommended for pregnant women, she said, well, yeah, sometimes it is recommended for pregnant women. I had this mental image of a pregnant woman, very pregnant belly, smoking a bong, and it made me nauseous. Oh. <laughs> it, it did, because that's like, that's where, we were, that's where we're progressing towards. That's right. That's where our society is headed. And, you know, it's hard not to feel like every day is kind of an uphill battle with this thing because each day where I'm like, yeah, we're starting to get a real grip on this thing. There's another thing that comes down the line that makes me upset. And then I have to come on here and rant and rave about like it. Like Kratom? Kratom. I was like, you know, a year ago, <laughs> a year ago, they tried to ban it and create a create it as a Schedule Two narcotic or classify it as a Schedule Two narcotic, which puts it up there with like heroin and other drugs. Mm-hmm. And they momentarily pulled it off the shelves here. And in that week, I had so many people calling the center in full-blown opiate withdrawals from Kratom because they couldn't get their daily doses of it. Now, people take a lot of this stuff, 
you know, some things are dosed in milligrams. Kratom is dosed in like grams. Like, wow. Yeah, it's a heavy dose. And some people take 10, 12, 14, you know, a lot, you know, the large amount of the substance to get the desired effect. And so all these people were going through really bad withdrawals and they were really sick. And some of these people didn't realize that taking Kratom would cause a withdrawal very, very, very similar to opiates. There's no one told them and they didn't do their research. And that's what happens with fads. People yeah. don't do their research. Like Oxycontin, people could have researched the drug and looked into what they were taking, but they trusted their doctor. Their doctor said, look, you have a painful condition. There's this great drug that just came out. We're going to give it to you. Let's see what happens and take it. And no one did the research. People just blindly trusted other sources of information to make their own decisions about what they're going to put in their body. And if I could just jump up on a mountaintop and scream down to the masses, do your research. You need to look at what you're putting in your body because it can have very dire consequences if you don't. And of course, if more people had done that, maybe the opiate problem wouldn't be as large and as massive as it is right now. Exactly. And, you know, I think these prevention efforts are great. I think what Amy's doing is fantastic. And, you know, it's like you were saying before, it's like when le- when legis- pro-drug legislation goes through, it's like you give an inch and they take a mile right. because you give a little bit and then they start wanting more and more and more and more until you get to the point where we're just going to be a society where all drugs are legal and we're going to have this weird Darwinian effect happening where it's, it's going to be survival of the fittest and the people that don't do drugs are going to survive and the people that do do drugs are going to die yeah. and it's going to be a very odd <laughs> thing. And I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see the United States be one of those countries that says, you know what? I know the solution to this. Let's just legalize everything. Right. We, I mean, but that, if you look at the progression of everything, we're sort of heading in that direction. Now there are countries out there like Portugal that did legalize all drugs. I know we talked about that. We talked about that. And you know, I'm not here to say like they're wrong, but I don't think that's the solution for us. I don't think that's a great idea at all. We don't know what that's going to be like. Um, and Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you just for a second. Didn't you tell me that you get people coming into Narcan Narcanon who are addicted to the new marijuana? Yes. We get tons and tons of phone calls of people who are going through withdrawal coming off of marijuana, where I had to take out of my kind of in my what's the word I'm looking for? I had to take out of the conversational piece. You're only on marijuana or you're just on marijuana. Right. People are calling where their drug of choice, the main drug that has destroyed their lives and caused them to get to a point where they need to call a rehabilitation center for help. Their only drug they're using is marijuana. Okay. So I want people to hear that. I want to pe- I want people to hear you can become addicted to marijuana well, and to- you can end up in rehab. And it's like, so I don't care whether, you know, the legislature says, you know, it's okay to take it. You can become addicted to it. You you need to know this. Legislation, the FDA said Oxycontin's safe and good to yeah, take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not yeah. trusting anybody. No. Nobody. Uh, yeah, I mean, people go through withdrawal. And, you know, withdrawal from marijuana is lasting up to a year for some people. Yeah. Because to some degree, marijuana is a hallucinogen. Right. To some degree, it has hallucinogenic effects. And right. so if you're smoking marijuana heavily or every day or it's a regular thing it's something you consume over and over and over again your brain's kind of actively hallucinating for a long period of time and so with hallucinations your perceptions get altered and so when you stop smoking marijuana one of the effects that people are experiencing are continued altered perceptions to where it takes time for your brain to kind of like revert back to where it was before you smoked all that pot 
And you're getting people experiencing insomnia, aggression, irritability, anxiety, depression, like all sorts of very, very distressing symptomology is coming from stopping marijuana usage. And it's the marijuana of today. We're dealing with a different animal as you and Amy were talking about. It's It shouldn't be called marijuana because it's not marijuana as marijuana originally was, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? Marijuana grew itself as a weed, as a plant in its original state. We have come in and altered that original organism to the point where it's yielding so much THC that it's it's almost completely different. Its effects are completely different. And then what we've done is taken it a step further and refined THC out of the plant and infused it into edibles and different things so you could take massive doses of it. Well, maybe that's what we call it then. Maybe we just rebrand it as THC and then, you know, uh, let's call it spade a spade. Well, THC is the active drug that gets right. you high. Yeah. yeah. And so you were, people weren't consuming mass quantities of THC. Even when I was growing up, when I was a teenager in the early 90s, you know, we we weren't consuming that much THC compared to the bleed to today. Right. And so THC in low doses... Is it a little bit more benign than other drugs? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe, but, but it, it still has long-term effects. Still has long-term effects. I saw effects. it. But the fact of the it. matter is we created a whole different animal when we started making it possible to consume THC in massive quantities. Right. And that's the, but that's the American way. Right. We like things bigger, better, faster, and stronger than they originally exist. So we don't care what it is. We're going to amp it up to give the most spectacular effects. Right. Beyond what anyone can imagine. I mean, we used to be a very progressive nation, and now other countries look at us like we're like these idiot Americans. Like, look look what they're doing now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's crazy. And, you know, I get a lot of hate online about my stance on marijuana because there are so many supporters of it that think, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread, and marijuana is here to save all of us. And it's like, no, (laughs) it's not. And I'll put blogs up on our website and put it onto Facebook and you should read the stream just like hate, hateful, hateful comments towards me about people saying, Oh, it's reefer madness all over again. And it's, it's just anti-drug propaganda. And I've been smoking weed for 20 years and I'm fine. I'm like, I don't think you're fine. Right? No, <laughs> uh, you know, people really support it. And you know, I the know. people that love marijuana love Kratom. It's a, it's a, it's, yep. it's a thing, you know, yep. people want their drugs. I know. Because they don't have the information they need. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, if more people learned how to confront and deal with their problems and not need an escape and not need to medicate medicate something away and not need that daily reprieve from reality, then we might start to see people making better decisions for themselves. Yep. But unfortunately, a lot of people out there don't know how to deal with their problems effectively. They don't know how to confront things. They don't know how to handle what life throws at them. So when they get overwhelmed... And someone says, here, just take this. It'll this take will the edge off. Better. This will make you feel way better. Take the edge off. They're, yeah, yeah isn't that, that's that, <laughs> that's the line I've heard forever, especially yeah. during final it'll exams. It'll take the edge off. Yeah. In, in college, here, take this. It'll take the edge off for yeah. three days. I don't remember what happened. Yeah. That, so that certainly that's took a big, the ed- that's a heavy duty cer- edge. <laughs> certainly took the edge off. I don't remember <laughs> the last 72 hours. Wow. So. Wow. Well, cool. We're going to be here again next week. And um, I really, I'm really glad we had Amy with us today. Yes. And again, everybody listening, Drug Free America, DFAF.org. Go there. Check it out. Absolutely. And for those of you who are looking for rehab or have a loved one that needs help, org, and we're here to help you. Absolutely. And you can get addicted to marijuana, so please don't start. Jason, we'll talk again next week. Been a pleasure. Have a good one. You too. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 